When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Gracious Leader Podcast with your host, Doris Young Boyer. Thank you for joining us today. The mission of this podcast is for you to hear from experts the power of graciousness to help you create the life you want and lead others to do the same. You will learn strategies and techniques to transform awkward situations, insights to create and sustain relationships, strategies to develop collaborative cultures, and proven methods to lead with poise and power. Here's Doris. Hello, everybody. Thank you for being here with me. I have a phenomenal guest today, Dr. Bruce Weinstein, better known as the ethics guy. Bruce is an ethicist which is a pretty nice sounding word, don't you think? And I want to tell you a lot about Bruce before we get ready to talk. Through his um, interactive and practical and entertaining presentation, Bruce inspires leaders to do the right thing every time. High character leadership is the key to success, he says. And I'll show you how to make this happen at every level of your organization. That's a big promise, Bruce, and I know that you deliver on it. Uh, So we're really glad to have you today. He writes a regular column on ethical leadership for Forbes magazine, and it's online. He is a prolific writer. His books include Ethical Intelligence, The Good Ones, 10 Crucial Qualities of High Character Employees, and for Kids. Is it still cheating if I don't get caught? I think that's really goes beyond kids. That's probably good for, for the rest of us also. He has a BA in philosophy from Swarthmore College, an MA and a PhD in philosophy with a concentration in bioethics from Georgetown University. And Bruce, we're going to ask you how you chose that. And he received a fellowship from the W.K. Kellogg Foundation in Battle Creek, Michigan. And there is an interesting project that Bruce did for that project where he worked with a choir that went to South Africa. So we want to hear a little bit more about that. So to relax, Bruce enjoys playing the drums, guitar, and harmonica. He likes to read books about musicians and directors. He likes to visit national parks with his wife, Kristen, and try to figure out the plot of the Godfather Part Two. So everybody, please welcome Bruce Weinstein to our program today. Bruce, this is kind of like the the ethics guy meets the etiquette lady. And our topic today is going to be ethics and etiquette. So tell us a little bit about how you decided to have a career in ethics. You know, I trace it back to a, a class that I took in high school in government, which I didn't like and didn't do well in. But there was one assignment that we had where we could pick any three books we wanted as long as they were in some way related to politics or government. And one of the books that I selected because we had it at home was Plato's Republic. And I'd never read any philosophy before. And I was shocked 
at how entertaining and engaging it was because, you know, it's written as a dialogue. It's really, it looks like a movie script, but it's a movie script about things of the highest importance. And that piqued my interest in philosophy. And I loved an ethics course I took in college. And I just decided after leaving medical school, you know, most people take four years to complete medical school. It took me only three months. So uh, <laughs> three months in, I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do so this. I thought I could go to film school, which I wanted to do. But I thought that, you know, that's a really tough career. Or I could make a move that was closer to where I was and study medical ethics, which is ethics and, you know, in the domain of healthcare. And Georgetown has this world-renowned program. So I was pretty gutsy, or maybe stupid in retrospect, obstinate, but um, it was the only graduate school I applied to. I said, this is what I want to go to, and I don't want to go anywhere else. And fortunately, I got in. And I still draw on the lessons that I learned many years ago, and I'm still close to the graduate students I went with uh, went to school with and and what I learned there is really the basis of what I I teach around the world now so it it continues to bear fruit and it was a wonderful experience at the time it was a little anxiety producing but uh it was a great place to be did your family say Bruce how are you gonna how are you gonna support yourself when you decided that you know fortunately I, I did not have the kind of parents that would ask the question like what are you going to do with that degree because certainly you know, a graduate, an undergraduate degree in philosophy, a, a lot of people would ask, you know, what can you apply that toward? It turns out to be useful in lots of fields besides philosophy. But um, I think my parents trusted my abilities to to uh, have faith in whatever I decided to do. And it, it, it took a while. I mean, I remember when I began teaching, I was living in New York and I was invited to speak to 12 physicians in California on a Saturday afternoon, and I was paid $500. And I was very fortunate to, to get it. And I, I, I learned a lot from that experience. And I just, you know, did a lot of talks like that. And, and then a few years later, I'm standing on stage in front of 6,000 people. And wow. it, it's really, it's, it, it's an amazing experience to tell a joke and hear 6,000 people, or at least a big chunk of them laugh. Mm-hmm. And I can see how people get addicted to it, actually, because uh, it's really affirming. So that was that was a career highlight. And but now, you know, with the pandemic and I'll, I'm sure this is I'll bet this is true for you, too, Doris. A lot of the teaching now is online. So mm-hmm. instead of flying around the world to give a one hour talk in Perth, Australia, I'm creating online ethics video courses for organizations. And then, you know, it's I do it and then it's out there and they people watch it over and over at, at any time they want. And it, it's pretty cool. You know, if you, if you set it up the right way, it's possible to have an engaging and entertaining virtual experience that's mm-hmm. unidirectional. Wow. It's not what, easy to do, but it can be done. But it can be done. What's the most rewarding thing for you that people take away from your workshop or, or your presentations? It's a great question. And in fact, the first question in my evaluation form is what's one thing you will do as a result of this presentation. Because if somebody says, it made me think, it's great. I mean, it's better than not making people think, but that's not enough. It's not a high enough return on an investment. The whole point, I think, is to prompt a change in behavior. And if everything were fine the way it is, there'd be no basis for a course in ethics or etiquette. We'd be fine. But I love it when 
someone says, I'm now going to reach out on LinkedIn and write an unsolicited recommendation for someone who has enriched my life. That is the highest possible praise to prompt somebody to reach out and thank someone while they're alive rather than wait till they're gone and tell their loved ones how great they were. That is just a wonderful uh, takeaway. And I, I never get tired of hearing about that. So what, what do you say that connects them to, for them to say, I want to let somebody know how great they've been to oh, me? Good question. I, I know, you see, in my head, I know how we end up there. But since uh, I didn't mention that before, um, I talk about the five principles of ethical intelligence in my signature talk. And the fifth one is the principle of care, sometimes known as kindness, compassion, love. But um, when I do, when I illustrate that principle in person, I ask the audience to raise their hand, let's say on a scale of one to 10, raise your hand with, with one being horrible and 10 being fantastic. Raise your hand if you're feeling nine or 10, a few hands go up. How about six, seven or eight? A few more hands go up. How about five or less? You're just not having a good time right now or you're not feeling great right now, then people will raise their hand and I invite them to come to the stage and then the audience and I give them a standing ovation for 30 seconds. Wow. And it's amazing how I learned that from Jack Canfield, the co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, that it's so it takes such little effort to make someone's day. And doing that in a, in a room of 500 people, not only is the person on stage transformed visibly, I mean, you can see them smiling, they're they're shoulders are back and you can tell that they feel good, but the energy in the room goes up and people were either sleeping or, or mm -hmm. uh, not really engaged playing, maybe playing candy crush on their phones. Now they're awake, they're alive, they're connected. And it takes 30 seconds to do that. But the thing is, you know, to do that exercise, to show that you care for someone that way requires a, a large auditorium filled with people or, you know, a, a conference room filled with 20 people. Mm -hmm. So, I wanted to think of a way that people could do something like that, but not need 499 colleagues to pull it off. And uh, the, the strategy that I came up with is using LinkedIn, which most of us are involved with. I mean, it's the primary platform for, for business uh, relationships and, and the social medium, a uh, social network. So uh, it's made for this. LinkedIn is made for writing recommendations, but it, People just don't take advantage of this. And, yeah, and if, yeah. if they do, it's usually to ask for one, to ask for a recommendation. You know, you, you ask your client, can you please tell people how great I am? Fine. That, that's a perfect use for it. But why not? Write, I think I wrote one for you, Doris, didn't I? Yes, I was you did. Like, yeah. uh, because, and you didn't ask me to do that. Mm -hmm. I, and it, it would have been fine if you had, but isn't it amazing to open up your email and there's this this wonderful in-depth recommendation that talks about a specific thing that you did to benefit someone else and how it enriched that person's life. And that recommendation will be there as long as you're on LinkedIn and you can share it with your clients. You can put it in your emails and it, you know, it takes maybe eight minutes to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I wrote a piece about it for Forbes and I turned it into an ebook. And in fact, I'll, at the end of this interview, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to your audience. Because I really want people not only to do this, but to do it in this specific way that I lay out, because I think it's especially meaningful if you're specific about the ways in which the other person has helped you and specific about how that has benefited you. Now, that's one of the traits of a gracious leader, uh, that that ability to connect with people and care for people 
when they least expect it almost, you know, that, you know, grace is, is giving people uh, the benefit of the doubt or, or giving them uh, a kudu, whether they expect it or not. Sometimes even when they may not even deserve it, giving them that kind of a, of a, of a support. So can someone be gracious or can someone be ungracious and be ethical? I want to answer that, but you gave me a, a, an idea in what you were just saying. And I thought I heard you use the word grace. Did, was that correct? Did you use the word grace? I used use the word grace. Yeah, I, okay, think that's, so, I think that's the root of graciousness. Um, so, yes, I did use the word grace. Well, uh, I'm Jewish, not Christian. My Christian brethren and sisterin talk about the concept of grace. I think it may be a particularly Protestant uh, notion, but uh, I went to a Jesuit school, so I should know this. But in any case, I hear the concept of grace talked a lot about in theological circles, in Christian circles. And I wonder, have you ever thought about trying to make a connection between, say, God's grace or grace as it's presented in religious terms and grace as you're using it in the field of etiquette? Have you ever thought about that, whether there's And that's a what this program, you just hit the nail on the head. That is what this program is about, uh, taking what is a spiritual principle for many and making it practical. And, the, and that's basically what I hope to do through conversation and through my writings to let people see. I mean, we experience grace in so many ways on a small scale that we may not connect it to grace. And I'll give you an example that I use. I mean, this is probably such an obvious one. You're, you, you go through a traffic light and the officer pulls you over and you say, officer, I, I, I thought the tree was there, branches were there. I didn't see, I didn't see it. You know, I didn't mean to go through the light. And he says, okay, be careful. I don't want you to get hurt. That's a moment of grace. So that kind of graciousness, if we have that mindset of what grace is and what graciousness is, then to develop the skills to it, I'm like you, then then we will do everything um, right. We will, that will be our underpinning to do the right thing at least 90% of the time if we can because of our humanity, our shared humanity. I know we're not talking about this now, but it is fascinating to me to hear that for you, your professional commitment to etiquette in general and grace in particular is rooted in a, a religious commitment to grace or religious understanding of grace, if I understand you correctly. Well, I, certainly I am, a mo- I am a person of faith and I believe that graciousness is value centered, you know, and, and, some, and, and for me, my values come from my faith. So that informs how I look at the world. You know, I mean, I'm, I, I believe in humanity. I believe that we all have a right to be here. I believe that we should all be treated with respect and, and graciousness. Well, thank you. And uh, back to your question, can a person be ungracious but ethical? Yes. Right. And the reverse is true. And we've all seen many examples of this, certainly in popular culture, but maybe in our, our professional or heaven forbid, our personal lives, somebody can be gracious, but unethical. The devil wears a smiling face. Uh, Don Corleone, the most uh, gracious gentleman you can imagine. He also is a murderer or was a murderer or in fiction, he, he murdered people. But in real life, lots of crooks. I mean, the Teflon Don, John Gotti was a gracious guy, but he was a cold-blooded murderer. So 
Um, your question really is rooted in, in a deeper question, which is, is there a difference between, between ethics and etiquette? And there is a difference. They're, they're both uh, grounded in principles like the principle of respect. The principle of respect is foundational in etiquette as it is in, in ethics, but the stakes are much higher in ethics than they are in etiquette. And I'll give you an example. Suppose that I see you have a, a beautiful home there. You invite uh, my wife and me over for dinner one night and um, there, it's a dinner party and there are 12 people and you have a long table set out. And I sit down before everyone else and I start eating the food before anybody else does. And then you all come in and um, I say, boy, Doris, this is great. And I belch loudly. And then I notice, oh, my toenails need clipping. So I, I, I'm not going to demonstrate this, but I've seen this done in New York. I start clipping my toenails at the dinner table. Now, would you say that that was rude, what I'm doing? Is that rude? Well, absolutely. Is it offensive? It's offensive. Is it harmful? Is it unethical? No, no, no let's not go there yet. But, I, but is it, have I, I've offended you, I've been rude, but have I harmed you? Well, I could say yes. I created a, what I thought was a safe space and invited people that I loved to, to, to be in that space with me and enjoy each other's company. And your behavior has changed all that, has created a unwelcoming environment for my guests. So yes, I feel harmed by that. It doesn't okay, necessarily so kill me in terms of the way Corleone may do, but uh -huh. you know, harm may be more than 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 uh, than getting shot. I mean, one is certainly <laughs> more permanent than the other. But in terms of my my sensibilities, my feeling about what my home represents, I walk away harmed. All right. So there might be a continuum of harm, where on one end there's there's harm like clipping your toenails at a dinner party, and on the other hand, cutting off the head of a horse because you want to get back at your enemy. Right. There's a right. continuum there. Mm -hmm. And 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 in your view, I not only offended you, I harmed you. And it's but it's at the, the lighter end of the, the lower end. Right. OK. So but OK. Now then say I excuse myself, go to your restroom and I open your medicine cabinet and I look at all the medicines you're taking and I start taking pictures of them. And I start tweeting pictures of, hey, look what Doris Young Boyer takes. Uh, would you say that that's rude to do? Would you say that's rude to, for me to take pictures of your medicine and distribute it on social media? I would say that that is rude, ungracious, and unethical. Aha. So what makes that unethical? The invasion of privacy. Yes. The fact that, that you have shared, yes. the fact that you have shared my personal confidential information with a wide audience. Now, someone may say, well, then you should have taken it out of the medicine cabinet if it shouldn't have been in a medicine cabinet where people could see it. But that's where I think the larger bowl of humanity is. And I, I agree with you in terms of the do no harm. And so that harms me both from an ethical standpoint, but also from um, a graciousness standpoint. I have invited you into my home. So if we were to compare harms, I, I know this seems like we're splitting hairs, but no, no, there's we're a not. point this I want to important. make. Um, would you, so you've said that I've harmed you by clipping my nails at the dinner table, and I've also harmed you by taking uh, pictures of your medicines and, and distributing them for the world to see. Are those harms of, 
uh, equal weight or is one more harmful than another, would you say? Well, certainly they're not of equal weight. I mean, I, I think that clipping your nails at my dinner table, as offensive as it is, is contained to those people who are there. Uh, sending copies of my prescription bottles over the internet is to a wider a wider audience. Wouldn't that hurt you more deeply if I did that? It would that? hurt me. Yes. It would hurt me more deeply. And I, I do believe, uh, if this is where we're going, that, that that's a good way to look at what is unethical as opposed to lacking etiquette, that it, that it hurts you more deeply. Yes, and, and, that, and that's more, really the point I, I wanted more, to make. And more permanently, uh, you, I would think. Yes. For you, m- my burping at the dinner table and clipping my nails constitute not merely an offense, but a harm. I think a lot of people would say that that was rude, but not uh, harmful. In any case, but even if you want to claim that it's harmful, the harm is not nearly on the level of uh, invading your privacy and and uh, and violating the trust that you've placed in me that I wouldn't do such a thing. So the the point I'm trying to make, really stepping back now, the view from thirty thousand feet, is that both etiquette and ethics are important. They're important for maintaining uh, social ties, for enhancing relationships, for um, keeping society going uh, in a positive direction, if you will. But ethics is more important because the stakes are higher. And if you had to choose between, let's say, you know, a lot of people complain about physicians having a poor bedside manner. Well, my, my physician just comes in, doesn't say any, doesn't introduce themselves, doesn't introduce the, the people they're with, just gets right into it. Yes, bedside manner, graciousness is absolutely important in a healthcare professional. But what I really want to know is, if I have a heart problem, can they... Can they help with the heart problem? It doesn't matter to me how gracious that physician is if he or she is a medical incompetent. Ideally, you would want both. Ideally, you would want people who are deeply committed to ethics and etiquette. But if I had to choose, I'll take the ethical, the knowledgeable, the skilled person any day over the gracious person. Now with you, we get both. You get a gracious person who's also a person of high character. And it's important to teach both. Uh, Absolutely. But- I, think it's imp- I think it's important to not only teach both, but to expect both. And I'll give you an example from my, my days as a human resources executive, especially when it came to succession planning. We would have someone who, let's say, was going from a vice president to a senior vice president. He'd been with the company. He pushed all those buttons Uh, punched every little ticket that he had. And when we get ready to say, okay, John's ready to go to this promotion, his boss might say, well, you know, he's not quite ready. And we say, what do you mean he's not quite ready? He's been here, all of his performance appraisals say next spot, next spot. Well, there's just something about him that's just not, he's just not ready. So we, I would probe that. What does that mean? What does that mean? Now, this is a guy in finance who would never think of taking the company's money. He would never think of um, giving others more money than they were supposed to have or, or peeling it off or doing anything that would be considered unethical. He wouldn't do it. But his manner in terms of working with his employees and working with other people that he had to work with to represent the company was not as skillful or not as deliberate as his attempt to not defraud the company. And because of that, he did not get the next level job because his quote etiquette 
and his ability to build and sustain relationships was not high on, on his list. So that continuum crosses lines. It crosses over, sometimes it intersects. It's not as cut and dried as the examples that we're using right now. Yes, those are at opposite ends, but there's a point at which they kind of meet in the middle. And this is when I believe that one is not more important than the other, that they are in a bowl of humanity and relationship and they each hold their own weight at that particular point. So maybe that's the middle of the, the continuum, but I think it's important for those of us who are in leadership positions, and especially if we're leading others, not to say, okay, the ethics is, is the, the point of it. Let's not worry about the etiquette. Um, they cross lines and they both carry weight. Well, and to your point there, I was speaking a few years ago with the head of HR for a Japanese-based company, and I asked him, is it possible to blow a business deal in Japan by being rude, not, not merely not unethical, but rude? And he said, yes. In some cultures, it's valued so highly that it is on the level of uh, a harm, violation of a norm of etiquette. It can be just as harmful as a violation of an ethical standard. That Absolutely. may be more common though in some cultures than others. And I certainly don't want to suggest that because the stakes are higher in ethics that we don't have to worry about etiquette. It's just that um, I, I think there is some value in uh, keep keeping your eyes on the prize. So they're both important. And I'm glad that there's an etiquette lady and an ethics guy because both are needed. The conversation continues Make sure to tune in next week for part two of this conversation. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast. You will find us on Audible, C-Suite Radio, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms. We'll see you next time. And remember, the gracious leader is a powerful leader. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.